It's been five weeks since Bob Wankel and I convened to discuss the Philadelphia Phillies. We decided to take October off after a crushing ending of the season. We just needed to cleanse ourselves, cleanse our souls after enduring that collapse. But we are now back. Welcome in to Crossed Up Phillies podcast. I'm Anthony Sanfilippo at Ant San Philly, along with Bob Wankel at uh, uh, I must send you wrong. I almost gave you out your wrong email or uh, wrong Twitter handle right there at BW Crossing Broad. Uh, and we are back on Crossed Up, and we appreciate you guys uh, being patient with us. And we're now just before we we start talking about stuff, just to let everybody know right off the bat what the plan is here for the off season. Uh, it's now we are recording this on election night. Um, but we are going to uh, try and do one every two weeks uh, in the offseason. However, if something breaks, if something happens with the Phillies and it's worthy of discussion, uh, Bob and I will try and jump on and give you a, uh, an episode or a podcast in between. So uh, with that said, I've talked for about a minute and a half here. Bob, good to hear from you. Yeah, what's going on, man? It's been, it's been a while. You know, it's, it, it's, it's funny. I... Um... I completely forgot about the collapse at the end of the season until you just said that. I, I kind of stepped away from it. I, I enjoyed the postseason a little bit. Uh, I got into the Eagles, kind of went on living my life, and, and then you just mentioned that collapse, and I kind of felt dirty all over again. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you know what? It, we were so good throughout the course of the season. We were religious with, with how we made time, even when there was no time to record. We would do it at 1 in the morning if we had to. And uh, it, the plan was not to step away for five weeks, but things just kind of got crazy. Obviously, you do a lot of coverage of the Flyers, and uh, I'm taking on some other endeavors with the website, and we've just had a hard time linking up here. So it's good to get back, and it's uh, good to talk about a really uh, a pivotal and, and crucially important uh, offseason for the Phillies here. And I'm glad that we're talking tonight because... The, you have the GM meetings out in California, and, and this is really the, the first day that some some news started to trickle out there, and you're going to see that happen over the next few days. And so I, I guess what I what I want to start by talking about is, is really just your general, and we have not discussed this at all, but what are your general goals for this, this team during this offseason? I mean, what, a, what's your priority here? Well, that's a tough call, in all honesty, because... I really don't know what we have. I mean, we said this is where we kind of left it off five weeks ago. Like, we really don't know, you know, other than the fact that Aaron Noll is going to be at the top of the rotation and Reese Hoskins is going to be in your lineup uh, as a sometimes first baseman, sometimes left fielder, which is what it sounds like after you listen to Matt Klintak talk that when they're playing uh, uh, ground ball, when ground ball pitchers are on the mound, you'll see him in left field. And when fly ball pitchers are on the mound, he'll be at first base. Um Outside of that, we don't really know what the what the Phillies are going to have. Um, so, you know, what do I want to see them do? I want to, I want to see them, um, you know, make a commitment to a group of players in positions where they should be playing. And I really want to see them sit there and say, okay, we can't be the worst defensive team in baseball again. Uh, we we are we can cannot have that because in a lot of ways that was the that was the the critical breaking point for this team i mean yeah the lineup was so inconsistent yeah the starting pitching finally went off the cliff a little bit in august and september but if you go through the entire year and you sit there and say well gee if we could have just saved you know a quarter of the runs that we gave up because of bad defense yeah the team's probably still in the playoff race 
And, and that's that's a crazy thing to say, but really, you know, can 25, 30 runs make that much of a difference? Yeah. Yeah, it really can. So to me, that's a very important thing. Obviously, you want to go, you know, the Phillies like the Sixers are going to go star hunting. They're going to go after um, Bryce Harper, Manny Machado. I get it. That's great. That's wonderful. Hunt all you want. But the fact of the matter is, no matter who you who you are adding, um, you really got to take into consideration that the defense was was as pitiful as it could potentially be, and that def- definitely needs to improve. So to me, that's a number one thing. You're ab- you're absolutely right. Uh, let me just uh, let me just jump in here. You're completely right. Makes a lot of sense from a philosophical standpoint. A very practical, measured response. I want Bryce Harper. Um, I will pay him 35 to $40 million a year. I will do it over the next decade. Uh, I want that guy manning an outfield position in this stadium this spring. Um, I've I've completely worked my, myself into this, um, a month ago, two months ago, I would have said, it's not going to happen. There's no sense in getting all, you know, jacked up over Bryce Harper. I I hear that the Dodgers are out. You see these, these rumblings that the Dodgers aren't in, the Cubs aren't going to be in, the Yankees aren't going to be in. And that it's like the, the giants who, by the way, they just, um, they just hired a Farhan Zaidi from, from the uh, Dodgers to, to run their operation. Um, and, and you have the teams like uh, the Cardinals that are in on Harper. And if it really is going to come down to teams like that and the Phillies, I, I would be uh, massively disappointed if they didn't land them. I, I actually think it would be inexcusable not to do so. Um, I, and I agree that you need to improve the defense. I also understand that Harper's defensive metrics were, were woeful a year ago. Um, I just really don't care. Uh, I think that you, you need a player like this. Uh, I think that he would inject a a ton of not only production, but just life into this team, into this fan base. Uh, And I think it's a game changer. And um, uh, to me, this offseason's a bust if they don't get him or if they don't go out and get a guy like Manny Machado and then and then supplement that with significant pieces as well. And and it doesn't just stop at them. I I expect the world of the Phillies this offseason and. Um, you know me, I, I tend to overreact to things at times, but uh, I, I've had five, six weeks to sit on this and really think about it. And and I want one of these guys, and I, I want a couple trades to, to provide reinforcements and balance to the starting rotation. And, and sure, I want to upgrade the defense as well, but it starts with a headlining piece. And if they don't do it, then I think they failed. Well, you know, one thing I want to say, and I, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you, I think that they, they, they've been talking about this for years. I mean, in all honesty, they're talking about it for three years now that this is going to be the off season that they're going to, you know, that they've been waiting for, that they've been preparing for. And so, you know, if you've been, you know, hunting this for, for that long, you better come back with, yeah, you uh, better not come back with AJ Pollock and Jay Happ, you know, like that, that's not going to get it done. Right. So that's the thing. So, I mean, I get that. Um, Interesting side note. You mentioned that you want Bryce Harper manning the outfield right field for you um, every day in the lineup next year. Don't know if you saw the report today where Scott Boris said, well, you know, uh, Bryce is willing to move to a new position. First base. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that kind of changes the game a little yeah, bit. I mean, I, I, you know, did, I did see that. Yeah, you know that that could uh, that could make him a more valuable because he's versatile, uh, and b teams that might not have been looking for you know thinking about getting into the Bryce Harper sweepstakes might sit there and say, oh, wait a second, we could play him at first base. That might prolong his career a little bit. You know, whatever, blah blah blah, and. We had a need there. We didn't really have a need in the outfield. Maybe now we can get involved. Um, it, it could also just be Scott Boris blowing smoke to try and uh, generate more Scott interest. Scott Boris would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> in his player. Um, 
But uh, but yeah, I mean, look, you're you're not you're not wrong. I mean, Bryce Harper would be a game changer for this Phillies lineup. Um, it, it would just make things a whole lot different. It really would. Um, and he's only 26 years old, which is which is fascinating to me. Um, so the fact that you know you you have an opportunity to get not one but two guys who are 26 um, in free agency, and you could potentially lock them up for you know their their prime years. Uh, just by throwing around the money that you've been saving for these past few years, that's a pretty cool thing, and it's pretty exciting. Yeah, so you you can't you can't talk about the Phillies offseason without talking about these guys, and that's kind of why I started with you know what are your thoughts on on Bryce Harper? Um, I guess I have two questions that I want to ask you. Do you do you think? And people ask me this, and I say, listen, I I don't pretend to be a beat guy. I'm not an insider. Uh, that that's not my game. That's not what. I do at Crossing Broad. Uh, I don't even pretend that that's the case. I have no idea if the Phillies are going to get them. You know, like I don't have any information that suggests that they will. I mean, you can listen to them. And if you kind of connect the dots and you see the money and you see that they've been putting out this aggressive message that this was the offseason and it's kind of been building towards this. I would say yes. And, and the way that the market seems to be developing in the early game here with some of your, your typical big players maybe sitting this one out, it, to me that aligns for the Phillies. I've kind of talked myself into it over the past couple of weeks that the Phillies, I, I think, if I had to guess, are going to sign him. That, like, that would be my guess. Now, I, again, I don't know that, but I guess I wanted to ask you, like, what do you think? I mean, not, not really where do you think he ends up, but like, do you think that the Phillies – do you think the Phillies end up with them? I mean, th- that that's kind of where I would want to start because I think most people listening to this show, and we'll talk about some of the other players that they're in on, and and actually I have a thought on that, and, and we'll get to that in a minute. But this is kind of the starting point. Like, let's talk about Bryce Harper first, and then we'll kind of cover everything else from there. Um, I think there are going to be players in it. Uh, I'm not convinced that he's coming here. Um, I, I, I think that the Phillies – in a lot of ways, and I, I hate to make cross-sport comparisons, but I think the Phillies in a lot of ways are like the Sixers. Um, and, and you saw how the Sixers pitch this summer went to try and get stars to come here. And it's not as easy as you think. You know, the Sixers yeah, but, had... I mean, he did follow Joel Embiid on Instagram, so that's, that's, right. that's important. That, I know, that's important. Um, I, no, but I mean, what my point is, is that the difference there, you know, when you really look at it is... You know, the Sixers had two, you know, two burgeoning superstars, um, yeah, already here, and just were looking for that one more guy to come in and make them a, you know, championship contender. And you know, several guys passed up on it because they wanted, they had intentions of going somewhere else. I mean, you know, you look at LeBron. LeBron could have come to the Sixers and had a better chance of winning a championship than he did by going to the Lakers, but he wanted to be in LA. So the question becomes, where does Bryce Harper really want to be? Does he really want to be in Philadelphia? Yeah, or does he want to be back in Washington? And and the report was that he rejected on the final day of the regular season. This came out earlier this afternoon. He rejected a deal worth $30 million a year from the Nationals. Um, And and that doesn't mean that he won't end up there or that the Nationals won't come back with a more aggressive offer once the market is set. Um, You know, maybe that door isn't closed, but... I think ultimately it will come down to who offers him the most money. And if you look at the cities that that are kind of in play right now, I mean, I don't actually see how he fits uh, in in San Francisco. And I was actually talking to uh, Jack Fritz at WIP about this, and we had had a conversation. He says, you know, they are in a spot where they should be looking to tear it down. 
And I kind of totally agree with that, uh, with him and with that point. I mean, their minor league system is is marginally talented. I would actually say it's in the bottom half. Uh, they're getting up there in age. There's some thought that they may trade Madison Bumgarner this offseason. Um, they are just not, to me, a, a team that's that looks like they'd be in position to go ahead and add a piece like him and make a meaningful push in the next two, three seasons. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's the case. If it came down to it, though, and apparently St. Louis is kind of in play here, there are some whispers that the White Sox could be involved. I can't see a scenario in which he would opt to go to one of those two cities. And I also can't see a scenario in which John Middleton gets beat on this by a team like that. Now, if the Yankees got involved and they wanted to drop 400 million plus, you know, maybe they move Giancarlo Stanton, maybe they get creative, maybe they're sandbagging everybody right now saying they're not in, and then they come out of nowhere and they do the thing that the Yankees always seem to do. But, you know, if, if it's a, a team like that or the Dodgers or the Cubs, like, I get that. I do. I don't get it if it comes down to a team like the Giants, the Cardinals, the White Sox, or, you know, some other second, third, fourth tier team. That's um, why I've worked myself into the, they've got to do this. And I think that the Phillies have a serious perception problem on their hands if they fail to go out and make meaningful splashes this offseason. Like, I don't want to hear about, you know, tweaking tweaking the margins and, and trying to, you know, add a, a couple wins through free agency and trades and then hope that the, the maturation process of a young roster pushes them to the 90 win total. Like, that... That shit's not going to fly. So I, I think John Middleton knows that. And I, I feel as if, though, that at some point that has to play a factor in this. I'm still a little concerned that no one's heard from Middleton. That that bothers me. Right. Like, I mean, could, could it not be the calm before the storm, perhaps? Well, it, it could be. And maybe that's maybe I have the wrong read on it, Bob. But, I, you know, my thought process is, is that this would have been an like the, the end of this season, the way it ended, and the stuff that went on, and all the criticism and everything else. And this would have been the ideal time for Middleton to come out and just basically say, "All right, this is it. We're doing it. We're going hard. We're going after guys. We're spending the money this off season. You're going to see a different team on the field come April. You know, get on board. It's going. It's coming. Like that would have been the right thing to do." And the fact that he didn't do that, to me, I read it, and this is, again, this is just my interpretation, but I read it as, we're not convinced that these, that these guys would want to come here. It's not to say we're not going to try, it's not to say that we're not going to get one of them, but we're not as confident as we maybe thought we would be at this point. So I, okay. I, think, I think that's kind of a thing. And that's what, that's where, that's what concerns me a little bit. Let me ask you this, because you have experience, you've been in locker rooms, you've talked to front office executives, players, team officials. To me, I look at this and there's been a lot of reports. The Phillies are connected to pretty much any meaningful free agent that exists or any meaningful trade possibility that exists currently. And I think that it's easy to make that connection because the Phillies have needs and they have a ton of money. And so, of course... The Phillies are going to be connected to these players. Now, is that are those connections being made because there are legitimate reports? Like, is there actually information that exists 
Like, did someone say, like, yeah, you know what? We would have interest in Robbie Ray uh, in a trade. We would have interest in James Paxton in a trade. We have interest in Machado and Harper. Like, is someone from the front office actually divulging this information to different sources? Or are these reporters just kind of taking a stab? Like, well, of course the Phillies are going to be interested in upgrading the rotation and, and going after megastars. You know, like, because... Because I yeah. could say that. I could tweet out, you know, hey, sources close to the team say Phillies are interested in Bryce Harper, and that would probably be true. So is this just kind of like taking an educated guess, or are the mm. Phillies actually controlling a message here? Because if they are, if it is the Phillies putting this information out here, they're backing themselves into a corner by doing so because they have raised the expectation, and, and certainly the expectations are sky high here for this offseason. To me, if they weren't going to make a play and if they didn't think that they could land one of these guys, they they should probably start controlling the message a little bit better to quell expectations. So I think yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and answer that as best I can. So when you see a report from a guy like Salisbury um, – you know, I'm not I'm not the biggest uh, NBC Sports Philadelphia fan. Um, I, I don't I'm not I'm not a big supporter in, in a lot of the people that they have there. But Salisbury is fantastic. Yeah, he's maybe the best uh, actual reporter that they have at that entire place, network, TV, uh, website, no matter what. Um, and I think Salisbury is the kind of guy who has sources all over baseball, but I would bet that he has the kind of relationship that's within the organization. So when you see a report by him today, for example, that um, the Phillies are looking for a left-handed starting pitcher, and his first story is that they are uh, kicking tires on James Paxton from Seattle, Robbie Ray from Arizona, in a possible trade, I'm pretty confident that that's coming from within the organization, Okay. Um, when you start hearing the stuff about the big names, obviously this has been something that's been talked about for three years. So it was probably a conversation, you know, in the dugout for a game with Matt Clentak, you know, three years ago where he said, you know, guys, uh, in 2018, Bryce Harper and Manny Machado are going to be free agents. And uh, we're trying, we're going to probably try and position ourselves. You know, he probably mentioned Kershaw too at the time. Um, you know, we're going to try and position ourselves to be in a situation to go after players like that. And that was probably an off-the-record conversation. And so that's why the reporters all started saying, well, the Phillies are going to have all this money and they're going to go after these guys. And so that's kind of something that's, you know, maybe not a um, as recent development. Here, let, let me chime in on this real quick, and I'll, I'll give you this exact tweet. This is the one I'm actually referencing. It's from John Heyman, who – national guy he's been around for a while he's he's actually been pretty spot on with philly stuff uh i would say uh over the last year he was really involved with the uh, jake arietta rumors and stuff like that and he had linked the phillies to him uh and he says yesterday given the opportunity to shoot down rumors they could go for both harper and machado a philly person did not do it everything's on the table it seems they clearly aim to win now, like I look at a tweet like that, and I go, okay, like so he he talked to somebody from the organization recently. I, I it would seem, and to me, this is the type of thing where I talk about controlling the narrative. Like if if the Phillies aren't in on Machado and Harper and these these frontline guys, ooh, you know, like those are the tweets that are really going to do damage long term in terms of the, the yeah, perception I, here. I, well, that's the thing, though, Bob. I think that they're going to be in. I mean, I think the Phillies are going to make huge offers to both guys, mm -hmm. and, and there's no doubt about it. I mean, they're going to try, 
the question ultimately is, do the play, do these players want to come here? Right. Because the Phillies can, you know, there is a difference. I mean, people say, oh, well, when you're talking to 300, 320, what's the big difference? That's freaking $20 million. That's what the difference is, right? To these players, that's huge. Um, so if you're, if you're able to outspend everyone, then you have a better chance. But if it's comparable offers between three teams, let's say, it's the player's going to pick where they want to go, like what they want to, the place that they want to be. And it might, it might be Philadelphia and it might not be Philadelphia. And I think that's the, that's the crux of this. So the Phillies are going to be in on these guys. The Phillies are going to be in on pretty much anybody, everybody. I mean, that's, they've been linked to so many players and that's probably because, you know, they're going to say, yeah, like, you know, we've, we have interest there. We have interest there. It might not be their primary interest there, but we have interest there. And so they're going to be in on so many guys. And as it as it is, players will ultimately make the decision. I'll give you an example. Again, this is, you know, I come from a hockey background, not necessarily the baseball background. But, you know, I was really close with Danny Briere when he was a member of the Flyers. And the, the season that he signed with the Flyers as a free agent, he had 19 offers, okay, from around the league. This is no lie. He had 19 offers. And he said, I really narrowed it down to two teams. He said, I narrowed it down to the Flyers and Montreal. And he said, I, you know, I always wanted to play for Montreal as a kid. And it was the place I wanted to be, the place I wanted to go. And he said, I thought that would be where I would end up. And he said, the Flyers and the Canadians gave me the same offer, the same thing, same money, same length, everything. And he said, and when I really sat down and thought about it and, and figured it out, I wanted to go to Philadelphia because I thought that the the pressure in Montreal would be a lot different than it would be in Philadelphia. And that was the reason he made the decision. Now, I'm sure everybody in Montreal looked at it and said, he's from here, he's going to come home and be the star player and lead us to the Stanley Cup. Like, that's kind of what the Canadians thought at the time. Like our Mike Trout. Yeah, and he's starting yeah. So, yeah, you know what? Now, the more I think about it, going home, that would not be a good thing. I should, I should play somewhere else. Now, he eventually did, at the end of his career, play one year in Montreal. But the fact of the matter is, is he made the decision to go somewhere. And for him, the reason that he decided to go to Philadelphia was because he didn't want to go to the place that was home. Okay. So he had two competing offers and chose the one that was not his home. And that was, that was his rationale. Who knows what Bryce Harper's rationale or who knows what Manny Machado's rationale is going to be as to why they make a decision that they do. But if there's competitive offers, they're going to make a decision that has nothing to do with money. It might have something to do with the with the players on the team. It might have something to do with you know the organization's uh, goals. It might have something to do with something that has nothing to do with baseball at all, like family related. Who knows? I mean, you know, any number of reasons that these things can happen. So, uh, the Phillies are going to be in on these guys. There's no doubt about it. But the but will the players be as interested in coming to Philadelphia? That's the big question. And that's the one that I don't think that we will have an answer to until they sign somewhere. Yeah, and we certainly talked about that a lot over the course of the summer. I mean, it, it, I think that what we had concluded as everything was collapsing around the team, you know, over the last month of the season was that players probably would look at this situation and go, this doesn't seem ideal, you know. But now I've removed myself from, from that, that month of from hell, and I, I've kind of taken a step back. And I mean – when I look at it, I say, all right, I think that the Phillies do have some things to offer here, particularly to Harper, you know, and considering his career numbers in the stadium. I don't know how he feels about the East Coast. I don't know if he wants to be closer to Arizona, where he's from. Uh, you know, you just don't know which of those factors are, are ultimately going to be the most important ones for an individual player. Um, 
I, I, I hope he likes the East Coast and I hope he wants to come here. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. You talked about like money, the, the money aspect of it. I think the magic number here is 350 million. I think that that any conversation probably starts at that, that number. Um, you, you know, considering Giancarlo Stanton got what last year, $325 million over 13 yeah. years from the Yankees. You know, I don't know that Harper needs to do a 13-year deal, but I know, and I, I, I mean, I shouldn't say I know, but I, I would suspect that he's probably intent on beating that number. Uh, I, I would think that, that Scott Boris probably wouldn't even listen to a conversation that, that didn't begin above $325 million. So my question to you is, when you look at the, the financial ramifications of doing a deal like this, is, is there a number where you kind of say, like, now I've got to be out? Because, like to me, the difference between thirty and thirty-five million isn't substantial. Is the difference between thirty-five and forty million substantial? Like, what's the number where you start to say, like, okay, I'm excited that they signed this guy, but this contract is so far beyond absurd that I now have significant worries about their long-term ability to do other deals to improve this team. I don't, I don't know where. I mean, to me, it's all about winning. Right. And so if I have to overspend to win now, I'm okay with that. Like, yeah, I, I, I don't think I, that they do. I think the Phillies have to overspend. I, I think that they are going to come in. I think they're going to come in strong. You know, and like if, if they, if they do, and this is where I keep coming back to, I think they're going to end up with them. I just feel like that they have positioned themselves in a way that, that they shouldn't be outbid in this situation. If there's another team that's willing to go to $37 million a year, I just can't see the Phillies saying, you know what, we decided $37 million a year was our max. We're not going to go to $39. Like, that's where I kind of I keep bringing myself back to this. Now, is he worth that? You know, people say, well, there's no one player that could be possibly worth that, but I don't know that I agree with that. Yeah. You know, I, I think that in terms of interest, in terms of revenue, in, ten, in terms of merchandising sales, I think that you're going to get your return back, you know, certainly that way. But I, I just think that he is a player that can make a substantial difference. And you're talking about, about a guy that's in his mid-20s. We're not talking about a 31-year-old here. Uh, I just think that this is different. I think that this is a different player and it's a different set of circumstances. It's unique. And, and I, there isn't a number that I would say, I mean, like, obviously if you got into like the upper forties, I would say, well, we'll no. but if we're talking in that 35 to, to 40, 42 range a year, you know, I, I think I'd have to do it. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not worried about the money. I really am not. I mean, in all, in all honesty, in the way things are anymore with, with superstar players, they all have opt outs in their contract. Right. So they could they could get out of it. They can get out of the deal at any point. Um, so whatever. I mean, it, it's it's crazy, but um, it's I, I can't even fathom it. But I'll tell you why I like Bryce Harper more than any other possibility. Um, after the All Star break, uh, or at least during the All Star break, Harper made an adjustment to his swing. I mean, he was he was swinging so he was such an uppercut swinger in the first half of the year. It was ridiculous. But he made an adjustment to his swing, and it, it, it warmed, warmed my heart, Bob, because he became a guy that straddled both uh, the modern player ideology of hit, it's home run or walk and the, the old-fashioned style of hit the ball where it's pitched, you know, make adjustments with two strikes. He was, in the second half of the season, 
was uh, second in the majors in doubles behind Justin Turner. And he led the National League in walks during that same time frame. Yeah. Um, and he was fourth in the league and weighted on base. Um and fifth in uh, weighted runs created. So yeah, I mean the OPS went by up by almost like a hundred points in the second half. The batting average by eighty six points. I mean, yeah, like, almost across the board. Yeah, yeah, and it was so th- those things. It it kind of went. He straddled it. He's like, look, all right, you know, I'm going to sit there. I'm going to have a great eye. I'm going to control the strike zone. You know, be that kind of player that the Phillies love. Um, but at the same time, I'm not going to give up on at bats just to try and draw a walk or still try and swing for a home run with a one two count. I'm going to go up there and, and, you know, be a smart hitter. And that, to me, is what is, impresses me about him more than anything else. Oh, he certainly fits the profile of what the Phillies want in a hitter more so than a guy like Machado does. I mean, Machado's more of a little bit more of a free swinger, right? And, I mean, the production's obviously outstanding, and he does play positions of need, whether it be shortstop or third base. But I think in terms of what the Phillies look at and what they value in a hitter, certainly Bryce Harper possesses those characteristics, those traits more so than anybody else. Yeah, I, I agree. So, so I, let me, let me ask you this because uh, I, I have a strong take on this. I, I wrote about it a couple different times for the website. Um, are you at all concerned about Manny Machado's, I, I would call it a bizarre uh, month of October, you know, between the, the spiking uh, at, at first base of, I believe it was uh, Pierce of the Red Sox, and then um, his name is... No, no, that was, that was the thing at first base was in the Milwaukee series. Well, it was in the Milwaukee series. He actually pulled it again late in the Red Sox series. It wasn't, oh, quite, as, it wasn't quite as blatant, um, but, you know, again, uh, you yeah, had those two incidents, and then, of course, the whole Johnny Hustle thing. I mean, how, do you, how did you digest that? Did that deter you or, uh, you know, kind of soften your interest in him at all because no. of those things? No. The guy could fly out play. I don't care. I don't. I don't care that. Yeah. You know, did we hate Jimmy Rollins? I. You know. I know a couple people did, but come on. You, you know. You. This guy is a star player, and as far as I'm concerned, you know. Yeah. You're gonna have those moments. Okay. As long as he's producing, I'll deal with it every once in a while. I don't mind. And, you know, is, is it a little dirty what he did, you know? Yeah, it was uh, Jesus Aguilar at first base. And, I mean, yeah, like that to me, it was, it was bullshit. He shouldn't have done it, but I, <laughs> I'm, Let me I'm ask okay. You like, I'm Let me, all right. We, we'll all yeah. move on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, seriously. I mean, when you think about it, you remember when A-Rod was doing those cheating things, like smacking the glove and yeah. and yelling at the guy as he's running to third. And, you know, all that. you know what? It's petty, but guess what? The guy's a star player. I mean, are you really going to say, I don't want that guy here because of those things? Well, you know what's amazing? How many people little, did say awesome. that? I mean, if, if you – if I, when I wrote that story, I always check our uh, Crossing Broads Facebook page because you, that's where you really get, like, more – I'll call them intelligent comments. You know, they're not the uh, thick ropes and uh, cuz comments that we get on the site stories. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of people were like, say no to Machado. Guy's a scumbag. He's overrated. He's dirty. Um, he's lazy. He's not a Philly kind of guy. And like, I'm so tired of the, the whole, like the idea of you got to be gritty and you, you got to bring your lunch pail to work and you got to be blue collar. And he's a Philly kind of guy. Like that's all bullshit, man. Like this guy comes in and hits 35, 40 homers, hits 280, gets on base in the three, uh, high three hundreds and, and the Phillies win 96 games. 
I don't give a shit about your lunch pail, your blue collar, your hustle, your grit. You know, that that's all nonsense. I, I'm, I think that that's something that this this city like latches onto that. And I don't know why they do it. And I knew it. I, I knew it watching it live when they played the Brewers. When that incident in first base happened, I said, this is going to be a problem. And, and there was some pushback. There was some blowback from Philly fans. When you listen to people talk about him on Twitter and, you know, just kind of taking in the social media, you know, reactions. And then he said the thing about hustling, and I said, oh, Jesus Christ, this is the worst thing he could have said in this city for this fan base because they're going to totally blow this out of proportion. They're going to completely overreact, and sure enough, they did. I mean, it was blasphemous to say that, and to me, it, it doesn't matter. It's, it's completely irrelevant to what this guy is moving forward. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't disagree. I think well, I wish you did because I wanted to light you up. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I mean, it's just it's look, you need you need star players in Philadelphia in this team. You, I'm sorry you do. You have Nola, that's great. Um and and Hoskins maybe a star player, but that's you're still kind of hoping against hope. You need to, to take that next that next step. You need to bring in these players who are going to turn this team around and those are the two guys that you've been targeting for years. You got to go try and get them. And and you can't. I heard Clentac on the radio, and Joe uh, uh, the camera. Yeah, you know, oh, God. It was not a. And I'm you know I know Joe. I went to high school with Joe, right? So so I know him. Um, and I, he's not. He's a actually a good guy. But that interview was not Joe's best. Yeah, um, you could add Scott Palmer do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but to hear Clentac say that. You know, he noticed those things about Machado, and he's had to, you know, you know, th- you know, make him think differently about him. Like that bothered me. Like you're you're a general manager of the team, and you're going to come out and say that. Yeah, yeah, and, and that was the thing. And he said it in 400 words. You know, it, what he should have just said, if that's really how he feels. Yeah, yeah, it did. It wasn't a good look. I would have respected that more than the, the hemming and hauling and the, you know, just this, this essay that he read to basically say like, yeah, it wasn't great. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I was, I was totally, you know, I was totally disgusted in all honesty with, with what Clentac said uh, about Machado at that point. So, but no, I, if, if I'm, if I'm Matt Clentac, I don't worry a little bit about any of that stuff. Go try yeah. it. So I kind of, I'm sitting there before the show tonight and I'm like, well, like, what do we want to talk about? And, you know, the whole thing with the uh, Japanese left-hander, the 27-year-old uh, the pitcher from the Cebu Lions. Can't say that I've watched a lot of Cebu Lions baseball over the last five years, but uh, Yusei Kikuchi is a, a guy, Scott Boris client. He's now being linked to the Phillies. Again, Jim Salisbury uh, suggesting that the Phillies are going to be in play for his services. Projects as a middle-of-the-rotation type of guy. Uh, I, I watched, uh, I'll tell you my scouting, my intense scouting report on him. I watched <laughs> four minutes of him on YouTube. Um, and he, he looks good, Anthony. Um, I'm not going to lie. I, I don't really know how this projects. And I, I think that there's a little bit of uncertainty in, in sometimes how the, the international players will project at the major league level. Um, I know that the Phillies have seen him, according to Salisbury, uh, firsthand, that they've scouted him in person, and, and they like what they've seen, and that's great. Is this is this a deal that you go okay like you know sign this guy and your your starting pitching woes are solved I mean like is is that a sufficient upgrade you, you know no. you bump out one of these kids and then you move forward with you know Nola uh, Arietta uh, Kikuchi uh, and then your pick of I, I guess 
our guy Pavetta and Velasquez and Eflin, you know, or Eichoff if he gets back involved. You say Kikuchi, I say Kakachi, whatever. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm kidding. Yeah, I actually, uh, it here is you Kikuchi. go. Uh, I, I Googled, <laughs> I Googled the pronunciation, and then I you know, on YouTube, I actually went through about five or six different videos to make sure that we were saying it right. So yeah, I'm it saying it the way that I heard it. Who the hell knows? No, it is Kikuchi. You're right. Um, I was just trying to make a joke off the song, but that's okay. Um, here's my concern with, with anything that the Phillies are doing, uh, with left-handed starting pitching here this offseason. And that's where it seems like that's that's going to be their first move um, since Salisbury wrote two articles about left-handed pitching. Um, and they really want a left-handed starter in their rotation. I get it. Um, and that's where they're going to start before, because obviously Machado, Harper, you know, to work out those big money contracts, it's going to take a little bit longer. So early, early movement for the Phillies is going to be left-handed start. Kikuchi, to me, is third on the list behind the other two guys that uh, that Salisbury wrote about, which were James Paxton and and Ro- uh, Robbie Ray. Yeah, and to clarify, obviously, those two guys would have to come via trade. Via trade, right? Yeah. But I understand that. Yeah. Um, and Kikuchi, you got to you got to sign. You have to, you know, he's posted, and you know, you got to pay the posting fee. And, um, and I guess Cebu Lions get like I think it's like twenty percent of the first. X number of dollars and then 15% of the next X number of dollars, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, here's my concern. You got a guy who's pitching in Japan, so you don't know a lot about him. Um, and as it compares to the major leagues, obviously that league is not as good as the major leagues, but it's probably a little bit better than your, your average minor league um, team. So when you see that he puts up a 1.97 ERA um, in 2017, um, you say, okay, well, that's, that's pretty darn good. Uh, through 187 and two-thirds, 217 strikeouts. That's pretty fantastic. He's had shoulder issues. He missed starts in this past season with a shoulder. Didn't have surgery, um, but it's the third time in eight years uh, in pitching in Japan that he's had a missed time with shoulder injuries that he has not gotten surgery for yet. Um, And when you look at his delivery, it's very funky. Um, It's very late arm action. Uh, on his delivery, um, which I think, you know, I'm no doctor, but if you have a very late arm action, where is that putting stress? On on the shoulder, right? So it, I have concerns with that, like I, because he's an international player, you you don't know, you're you're not around him, or you don't know people who are around him that often. So yeah, and it's it's a little bit of a. Un- it's a little bit of uncharted territory here too. I mean, they just they have not been involved in this particular market really uh, ever. You know, I mean, they haven't really even been linked to guys, let alone close the deal on them. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they they proceed with this. Now, you talked about Robbie Ray and James Paxton. I I have concerns about both of these guys. Um, I want to kind of work through them with you uh, a little yeah. bit. You know, obviously both of them are, are big-time strikeout guys. They both average almost 12 strikeouts per nine innings. Um, as far as Robbie Ray goes, he is he's the younger of the two. Uh, he's 27, I believe. He's actually entering his age 27 season. So um, that's all fine and well. The, the strikeouts are good. I believe he was an all-star in 2017. He has also missed some starts the past couple of seasons. Uh, I believe he only made 24 starts a season ago. One number jumps off the page at me that that gives me some pause, and that would be that every season his walks per nine have increased, and they jumped to 5.1 per nine in 
per nine last season. Um, and I just, I don't know about that. Like, I just, I don't like guys that walk batters. I don't think anybody does, but in particular, he concerns me. That the one three five whip, that's a lot of base runners. I just don't know. You know, like what what is the asking price going to be for a guy like that? He's under control through 2021. He's a lefty. He's got good stuff. I mean, I would think that this would be a, a I don't want to use the word substantial, but they're going to have to pay to get a guy like him. You know, and then you look at a guy like Paxton. He's 23 and 11 over the past two seasons. Uh, he had a career high in innings pitch this year, which was 160 innings. He's had injury problems. Um, the whip is a little bit better. You know, the 298 ERA, uh, I believe, uh, a year ago. I mean, like, these are guys that they should be interested in, and I, I, I would love to have them in the rotation given that they're healthy, but they do come with some concerns. And so – I mean, do you have a preference between these two or, you know, what are well, your thoughts on this? If I'm looking to win now, I'd rather, I well, I probably will go Paxton slightly ahead of Robbie Ray. But I'll tell you what I like about Ray. I mean, you mentioned his walk rate going up and up. And, and it has. You're absolutely right. But in that, the interesting thing to me is you go from his first two seasons in the full, first two full seasons in the bigs, 15 and 16, um, he was giving up a lot of hits, less walks, but a lot of hits, less strikeouts. In his last two seasons, even this year, um, only 7.1 hits per nine. That's pretty good. So the walk rate went up, and when you're striking out as many guys as he's striking out, um, I think that you, you run the risk of having the walk rate be a little bit higher um, because you're throwing a lot of pitches out of the strike zone. Well, I sure so don't want him in a rotation with Vince Velasquez then. Uh, I will say that. <laughs> I, under, I understand. I, I totally understand. He has to be better than what he was in 2018. You can't have a 5.1 per nine walk rate. That's way too many walks, okay? Um, but, you know, guys are in baseball are taking more pitches. Guys are walking more um, than they were before. So you got to expect the walk rates to go up a little bit. His jumped too much. If he could get back to that, 3.5 to 3.9 walk rate, which still isn't good, but it's not terrible, and keep the hits down in that seven range, now all of a sudden you're talking about a pitcher who could be a number two. You see what I'm saying? Right. So like, that's he had a one-season outlier where it really jumped, which was this past season, but previously he was 3.5 to 3.9. So if you can get back to that range and keep it at seven, you're looking at a number two starter. Um that said, I like Paxton better. And I know Paxton's had some injuries as well. Um, uh, and he is older at 30. He's um, but he's a better pitcher. I mean, he's he's had more sustained over his career. Um, he's only had three real full seasons as a starter uh, in Seattle. But they've been three pretty darn good seasons. And the last two especially, very consistent too. If you look at it, his whip was almost identical. In the last two seasons, um, 1.103 and 1.098. I mean, that's very marginal difference. Um, doesn't give up a lot of hits. Doesn't walk a lot of guys. He's he's really uh, he's he's the guy. You just got to hope that the injuries, you know, don't don't you know come back to haunt you uh, with him as he gets older here. But I mean, I think I think he's a guy that plays better in this rotation um the one thing that i worry a little bit about him is he does he did give up the long ball this past year 
uh, gave up, gave up um, 23 home runs in just 160 innings. That's a little high. Yeah, it is a little high. And I, I don't know how the, the park adjustments went last season, but I, I perceive uh, – is it Safeco still? I, I perceive that to be yeah. a pitcher's park. I mean – It is. It is a pitcher's park. And Citizens Bank is not. Yeah. So there's the difference, right? Um, so, I, yeah, I, I, you know, there's, there's concerns everywhere. But if I had to rank the, the three choices there, I'd rather go with the known quantity – and the better of the two known quantities before the unknown quantity. Yeah, and I, I think that the Phillies are going to be active in the trade market. Right now we're fixated on the Harper Machado stuff, talking free agents, you know, and that's all fine and well, and certainly there are going to be players there. But I do think that the Phillies are going to make some deals, and they may utilize minor league resources to do so, and I think that they possibly could move a, a couple of their prominent position players if, if the right deal comes about. I mean, you go up and down this roster, and I, I think aside from Aaron Nola and Reese Hoskins, and I know we talked about this throughout the course of the season, especially at the end as things were kind of falling apart, I don't know that there's a player outside of those two guys that would be absolutely untouchable that, that currently exists at the major league level. You know, I, I would be shocked at this point if, if Cesar Hernandez was back next season. I, I, I think they're going to move him. Um, that's more of like a, a take, I guess, or a prediction more than, than really anything else. But uh, I, I do think that there's a, a pretty good chance that he's not around next season. I, I could see a guy like Nick Williams or Adubel Herrera being moved. I think if the right opportunity presented itself, as much as they want to talk about Carlos Santana possibly standing in left field for a few innings or playing some third base, I think if the right deal comes about, they would look to move him. I, I do think that that's in play. I almost wonder if if the Phillies would be interested in, in having a little bit more of a stabilizing force behind the plate uh, as well. And I, I wonder what that does for the future of a guy like Jorge Alfaro. I mean, is Jorge Alfaro the, the guy that's going to be here for the next seven to ten years behind the plate for this team? Or is he a guy that another team might look at and say, there's something there, let's take a chance on him. And the Phillies go with a little bit more of a, a known commodity behind the plate. You know, that, that's something I also wonder about. And I'll tell you, the guy I would love to have is, is JT Romuto. Um, I, I think that that's probably unrealistic, especially if they're they're going to be in play for some of these other these other bigger name guys. But man, that, that would be a guy I would love to shake loose from from Miami. Yeah, I mean, they're probably going to move him um, just because they have to. Hard to believe they would do it within the division, I'm sure. Right, but, but I don't, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen in the division. Um Geez, it, there's just so much that I, that is uncertain. You're, and you're right, yeah. catcher catcher is another concern. Uh, the bullpen is still a concern, yeah. uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, third base. What do you? What's going to happen there? Um, you know, where does J.P. Crawford fit, if at all? Um, you know, it's, what it's you just such a fascinating offseason. I mean, if this was a team that had, you know, multiple positions solidified. You would say, okay, the thing for them to do is go out and get a starter, go out and get Bryce Harper, or you know, a, a legitimate bat, middle of the lineup bat, and then let's go, let's go ahead, let's get into it. But there are so many moving parts. I mean, there are so many different possibilities for this team this offseason, and and that's what makes it so interesting to talk about because they could make three or four trades easily. They could part ways with some of these guys. Just say, you know what? It's not working out. We're going to go a different direction. There's 25 free agents that they're connected to currently. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, 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 it's utterly fascinating to watch how this thing is going to unfold. Yeah. And 
I'm not incredibly confident. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm hopeful at this point, but I'm also bracing myself for the for the letdown. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, be- before we get out of here, I, I do want to talk about, because we haven't spoken since the end of the regular season, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about the World Series. And obviously yeah. the Red Sox proved to be one of the, I would say, one of the best teams of all time. I don't think it's a stretch to say that. Um, you know, they, they win the World Series in five games. I My takeaway from it, other than the, yeah, the Red Sox were great. It's just that I, I was very, very disinterested in that in that series. Um, and I know they played an 18-inning game. I know that the Red Sox overcame a 4-0 deficit in that Saturday night game. I guess it was game four to take yep. a 3-1 lead. Um, and it was a hell of a finish to that game. I was watching it. I was out at a Halloween party. And we had it on. And, and I, I did pay attention to it. But just in general, I, I didn't really look forward to the games. I wasn't particularly moved or captivated by these games. Um, I just, I don't know, man, I was a little bit underwhelmed and I kind of did start to fall into that trap and, and we've heard people say it throughout the past couple seasons that, that baseball is a flawed product and that it's, it's lost its luster and the games are too long. And I feel myself starting to buy into that a little bit. Um, I, I was just totally underwhelmed by the entire postseason, And, and I, I guess I want you to tell me why I shouldn't be. You shouldn't. Well, I know why you were, because it's the, the way the game has changed. It's not the, it's not the game you grew up with. So you're sitting there and you're watching it and you're like, what the hell am I watching? <laughs> yeah. And like, I'm not, I'm not an old head. I'm, I'm 33 years old here. You know, yeah. so it's not like, I'm like, this isn't, this no, isn't but, what I grew up no, with. But Bob, <laughs> it's only really changed to this extreme in the last couple of seasons. Yeah. I mean, really, I mean, we're, we're, we're in that, we're in that era switch right now. I mean, it went from, I mean, go back. If you go back five years, I'm going to say go back to t- 2013 and count the number of pitchers that threw 200 innings. And then look at how many threw 200 innings this year. It's a precipitous drop. Yeah. I mean, really. So, I mean, we're, we're, we're in that, you know, time where the era is switching. And, uh, you know, so when I say you grew up on it, you've been watching baseball a good 25 years, that, you know, that you remember, probably. And in that 25 years, only the last two or three have been different than the first 22. And so when you sit there and watch, you're like, what, what am I watching? The refreshing thing to me, and I, I mentioned this to you before we, before we started recording. Um, the refreshing thing to me was Boston went back to old school baseball to win in the World Series. And Dave Roberts most certainly did not. <laughs> at all. At all. Yeah. And I thought it was, I thought it was, a, a, it was a, a breath of fresh air. Uh, I really liked the way Alex Cora managed that series for Boston. Um, and, and I, and I think it was, it's what made the difference. You know, they just hit and hit and hit. And yeah, Steve Pierce hit a couple home runs and yeah, whatever, that's fine. But it wasn't about the home runs. It wasn't about walks. They went up there and just took pitches and smacked them where they, where they were pitched and they got on base and it didn't matter who they were going up against. They hit Kershaw. They hit Kenley Jansen. They hit everybody except really Rich Hill is really the only one who stymied them. Um, and that was in the uh, – and that game, he shouldn't have even come out. Um, Dave Roberts blows that by taking him out of a game when he's pitching a one-hitter and then the bullpen blows the You know, it's it's a little bit – it's it's tough because the, the Dodgers kind of rode that formula throughout September and the first couple rounds of the postseason, and it worked for them, and it got them that far. And so, you know, you have to acknowledge that, that Roberts did play those matchups, and he heavily relied upon that strategy yeah, to get to the but, World Series. But 
you know, I do have a hard time when you get to that series and you're playing a team with that type of talent on the other side. And you have guys like Cody Bellinger and Jock Peterson and, and your heavy hitters, Giovanni Grandel. You know, you have guys like that sitting on the bench wasting away as you're watching your World Series games one and two just just fall right through your hands. And that's that's tough. That's very, very tough to watch. Yeah, and, it, and so here's – but here's the thing. I'm going to get back to Rich Hill for just a second. I don't want you to just dismiss that one because Dave Roberts comes out and, and his defense of this was that when Hill gives him the ball, he assumes that that means uh, I want to come out of the game. And then Rich Hill says, well, I didn't want to come out. He says, but every time Dave Roberts comes out to the mound, they're taking you out of the game. So I, ha- I flip him the ball because that's what I think he wants to do. I've never had him come and ask me how I feel. So, like, now that's that's the manager. Like, if, if, even if, if I'm the manager and I go out there and my pitcher flips me the ball, but I want him to stay in the game, or I at least want to ask him if he wants to stay in the game or whatever, I'm not just going to just take the ball and say, all right, get out, and then call for the guy in the bullpen. I'm still going to ask him the question. I'm still going to have that conversation. The manager's got to have a feel. And I think the Dodgers, not with the Phillies, um, although they do it with success, uh, manages too much on the margins. They And what I mean by that is they are using the the sl- ever so slightest mathematical advantage and trying to use that to their favor rather than sit there and make a decision based on, you know, knowing your players as people. And and, and I think that, so that's where, that's where I think that the, the, you cross the line with the analytics. And I think that the Dodgers in that instance, in that moment, was a was a line cross there you have to have a better feel there you have to sit there and say i don't give a shit if bringing ryan madsen into the game or whoever it was oh uh, uh, let's talk about ryan madsen real quick <laughs> that's what i'm saying like i don't care if your if your numbers tell you that you have a 0.56 percent better chance of getting this next guy out with madsen than you do with the guy that's in the game if the guy that's in the game is pitching great don't make that change yeah isn't it amazing that that team with the payroll that they have in the most pivotal spots and high leverage spots in both games one and two of the World Series, they go to Ryan Matson, right? Like, and I know actually Ryan Matson did have a decent season for them, and and I understand that, and he actually had pitched fairly well in the postseason leading up to the World Series, but it just it baffles me. Like when you expect, like you would think that team would be bringing out just guys that are lights out out of the bullpen. And instead you hear it. Here comes Ryan Matson. And in the first game, he had two inherited runners. He allowed them both to score. Game two, he had three inherited runners. All three of them scored. And then, you know, a little icing on the cake. Uh, game four, he had two more inherited runners, and they both scored. I mean, he was a disaster in the World Series. And he didn't. He only allowed one earned run in four appearances. But the inherited runners uh, almost entirely scored. I mean, it was a seven of eight inherited runners. Uh, scored on him. Oh, I'm sorry, no. Uh, seven of seven inherited runners scored on him in the World Series. It's just, it's insane. And, and to me, if if you're looking at the bullpen and you say like, I, I got to remove my starter here because because I got Ryan Matson to to put out the fire. Your your team probably didn't deserve to win the World Series. Anyway. No, I mean the thing that bothered me the most about Rich Hill was he took him out after a strikeout. Yeah. Like yeah. he's pitching a one hitter and just struck a guy out in the seventh inning, and you're like, all right, that's it. That's enough. But he's a one-hitter. He struck somebody out. He's not struggling. Like, what the hell are you thinking? And, and that it just blows my mind that you're that committed 
to whatever the matchup stuff tells you, whatever the math tells you, that you can't recognize that the situa- in this situation, your pitcher is dominating. They couldn't touch Rich Hill. And he let the Red Sox back into the game. Well, it's interesting you have that these two huge markets, uh, opposite coasts, historic franchises. And I just don't feel like there was a lot of juice for this this series across the country. And I know the ratings were down yet again. And Rob Manfred actually acknowledged, like, you know, we, we're a little bit concerned by this, you know. And it just, to, to me, I think a lot of fans just said, well, I, and I think it really came down to I don't like either of these teams. I mean, that was part of it. You know, the game is being played differently, and, and certainly the length of the game is problematic, and, and classics ending at 3.30 in the morning, which I know you stayed up for, and I applaud you for that. You know, that's all fine and well, but I just think that the likability of the two teams was lacking, you know, for the common fan as well, and I think that that played a part of it as well, uh, at least on my end it did. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, there are concerns. Um, they did try to address it. They did start games a little bit earlier than usual. Um but when the games are going longer because of all the matchups and pitching changes and stuff, that's not going to really affect the time that the game ends. And, of course, going 18 innings really drags it into – into I, like, I was curious. I, just, I was just wondering how much longer they were going to let that go because of, the to, because of the time. Now, I know it wasn't 3.30 in the morning in Los Angeles. Um, what, it you think they actually like, suspend the game? Yeah, like, I, what would they have done? Like, no, I, that would have been a nightmare. Like, I was wondering if it really, if it went like another, how much longer would it have gone? Because seriously, if, if they go another, let's say they go another two innings, it doesn't end in the 18th, you go to the 20th. You're pushing an hour, another yeah, hour. 4.15, 4.30 in the morning at that yeah. point. It, it, on the East Coast, which is one thirty out west. At what point do you stop? At what point do you say, we got to stop and continue this tomorrow? Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I was, that's what I... I was actually rooting for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the never-ending game. But, wake uh, up the next morning and turn on a baseball game. Yeah, like I don't, I don't know what they would have done. That was kind of a, the thing I was looking at. Uh, all right, before we head out of here, uh, two things that are uh, Phillies-related but uh, not tied into uh, this season coming up or the offseason. Uh, one, you know, obvious, obviously congratulations to Aaron Nola finalist for the Cy Young Award. He's not going to win it. Um, yeah, absolutely no shot. He's going to come in third in the voting, but uh, uh, still, it's pretty cool to you know know that he had that good of a season and everybody else recognized that he had that good of a season. Absolutely agree. Well said. Yeah. Uh, and finally, and this is one I just want to kind of run past you. So, they have, um, as you know, the Hall of Fame has, in, uh, you know, these ballot committees now that they've They've kind of done to uh, it's a bunch of you know cronies who you know figure all right the media is not going to put our our guys in the hall of fame we'll find a way to get them in there um, and they have a bunch of these committees from you know the early baseball committee the golden days committee the modern baseball committee and they have something called the today's game uh, committee um, and these ballots allow people to get into Cooperstown. Um, as long as they've been uh, players, as players, they've been out of the game for, I think it's like 15 years. And, uh, and, and the, they you know, focus on, I think the quote is, um, they put in quotes, indelible contributions uh, of nominees since 1988. Okay, so that's, that's as far back as it can go. Uh, on the ballot this year, uh, today's game ballot, Oral Hershiser, great pitcher, probably doesn't belong in the hall, but he's close in my mind. Harold Baines, Albert Bell, 
he'll never get in because he was hated. He was hated. I mean, he was yeah. great. He had a great several seasons. I mean, some of his yeah. numbers in seasons were unbelievable. He was he'll a never mean get dude. In. Will Clark, who I loved as a kid, but he won't get in. Davey Johnson, Lou Pinella, Lee Smith, and Charlie Manuel. Yeah. And I think, I, oh, there's a couple other names. <laughs> I forgot. Joe Carter and uh, George Steinbrenner. We're awesome. No to Joe Carter. Yeah. George um, Steinbrenner, really? Yeah. So, yeah. I'm a little surprised he's not in to begin with. Now, but. is this a... Is this just one guy gets in off this list? or So there are 16 voters, um, and you have to get votes from 12 of the 16 to get in. Now, I don't know what the specifics are, like how many guys of the, you know of, you can vote for on that group of 16. Like can they pick two, three, four? Like I don't know what the if there's a maximum that they're allowed to choose, but – I, th- I think that what it is is you have to get 12 and only one person gets in. Um, I, so uh, let me see if I can find this. Uh, okay, here it is. Regardless of the results, the today's game ballot, as well as the modern game ballot, are only voted on twice every five years. So there you go. So um, if, you get it, if you get in, great. If not, then you don't get, you know, you're not considered again for another you know, a couple of years, three, two, three years at that point. Well, I mean, I think you could have an hour long exercise trying to figure out who ranks above who off that list. But, you know, my initial impression would be that George Steinbrenner's prominence probably would, would trump Charlie Manuel's. Um, but let's just, for the sake of the exercise, let's just talk about Charlie Manuel. 12 years managed, six first place finishes, won a World Series. Obviously, you know, eight gets to another one with the Phillies in the following year. Yeah. Um, was the manager of some some very good Cleveland Indians teams, some excellent offenses. You know, uh, I don't know, 548 win, win percentage. Uh, you know, to me, man, yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I love them. And if they put them in, I'm all for it. When I think Charlie Manuel, I don't think Hall of Famer. Yeah, that's that's kind of like as much as I would like to convince myself and work myself into believing like that that he is a Hall of Fame manager for two reasons. Number one, he only won one title. Number two, he had immensely talented teams that that a lot of people would probably argue should have won, probably should have won more than they did. Certainly those Phillies teams, I I think you almost feel like that those teams left something on the table. Uh, in some of those seasons, and I think that a lot of people, if you were to ask Indians fans the same, they'd probably tell you the same thing. Um, With that said, obviously the way that they rallied in 2007 to to win the East was was unbelievable, and I think that a lot of managers would have lost that team, wouldn't have gotten that team to respond the way that he did, and the way that they made the run in 2008, you know, again, a late-season comeback. There was a lot to be said for that, Um, and, and obviously when you listen to players talk about Charlie Manuel the way that they do, um, I think you have to take that into account as well. But when I when I look at the overall picture, uh, I, I don't see Hall of Famer. Yeah, um, the one thing that I will this is where I'll I'll, uh, I'll make the case the other way. Um, not only was he a manager, he was a, a hitting coach, hitting instructor. And when you look at the teams that he had and the players that he had and the work that he did with these guys, I mean. He turned a lot of guys into very good, if not great, hitters. Um, you, you look at Tommy, yeah. who talks about him, yeah, you know, often credits at, him, yeah. ad nauseum, right? 
But even guys, even guys who were not great hitters before they got to Cleveland became good hitters in Cleveland with Charlie, like Omar Vizquel, like Kenny Lofton. Kenny Lofton I mean, yeah. I, I look at guys like that and say, you know, Carlos they were – yeah, and they—they, they, I mean, I mean, he also had Alomar and Bell and Manny Ramirez. Sure. And, you know, I mean, those guys were studs. I mean, they, you know, probably didn't make them better hitters. Um, I mean, he might have helped a little bit, but they were already really good players. I'm, what I'm saying is, is he took guys and turned them into something that they, something more than they were. And I think that you add that in. So he had six years as a hitting coach with that awesome offense in Cleveland. Managed them three times, three years, got to the playoffs with them all three times. Phillies managed them for eight years, got to the playoffs, what, six times with them? Did we say or five? Whatever. Uh, yeah, five. Five. Five of, five of the eight years. Um, that's a pretty damn good run. <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty damn good run. I don't think he ever finished lower than second in a full season that he managed in a division. That's another thing to take into consideration. So I mean, his last year, his last year with uh, the Indians, he finished in third. But yeah, okay, yeah. All right. So there you go. So so yeah, I mean that's you know you win a thousand games as a manager. That's pretty impressive. He's got a World Series title. I mean, is he is he again because of this these committees and these are like I said, these are almost like you didn't really get into the hall, but we're letting you in because you were an awesome baseball person. You know, it's almost like the Hall of Very Good, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I think that he's probably if we're if we're using that as the criteria for these four, you know, committees, does he fit into that? I think he does. Yeah. Now it's funny as you were talking about this, I, I just can't. I'm fixated on George Steinbrenner, right? Like yeah. he's not a good guy, and I think that that most people don't feel much sympathy for George Steinbrenner, uh, but. Actually, the first thing that came up was just the Sports Illustrated. George Steinbrenner uh, is it probably will not reach Cooperstown. And just to me, like I would think, with the winning that they did and the prominence of the Yankees, it, it, it kind of amazes me that he's not in. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know too much about these subcommittees and and these the processes behind these types of things, but uh, that kind of kind of surprised me a little bit. So. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think he belongs he belongs in there probably ahead of Charlie. Yeah, well, uh, let me just say this: I hope Charlie Manuel gets in. You know, I don't want to seem like a hater. I love Charlie Manuel, and I'll I'll never forget those teams and and all of that. But yeah, I I don't know. We'll see. We'll I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, Bob, it was good uh, to get back in the yeah, saddle. Nice catching up with you. I, I assume this is just this is my official prediction. This is the one thing I know to be true. Uh, this will happen. Uh, it will. The Phillies will make a prominent signing uh, sometime in the next couple weeks, and it will happen at a time which is virtually impossible for us to both get to a microphone at the same time. Absolutely inconvenient time. Yeah, I guarantee. guarantee. Yes. You're absolutely. I agree with you 100. percent I will likely be out, and I'm sure you will be too. And and that's when this is going to happen. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, but we'll see when that is. Otherwise, if uh, if nothing happens in the next two weeks, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Uh, don't forget to check out the other shows on the Crossing Broad Podcasting Network. Uh, which includes, uh, here's my uh, shameless plug for Snow the Goalie, the Flyers podcast, which Russ and I are now also doing, Bob, I don't know if you were aware of this, we're also doing um, the Press Row Show. Uh, doing, I, I am aware of this, yes. Doing a live show, pregame and at intermissions of Flyers games, uh, Flyers home games at the Wells Fargo Center. Uh, so we're doing those. You can check them out on both Facebook and through my Twitter feed at Ants and Philly. Um, and then there's Crossing Broadcast, which 
Russ and Kyle have now gone into after after struggling to get you know uh, pod podcasts out for a while. Now all of a sudden they're doing two hours. <laughs> Yeah. That's what happens when you play roulette with Allen Iverson. Yeah, yeah. 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 two hours lo- long of those podcasts. So uh, an hour on your way into work and an hour on your way home. So check them out. And then there's still uh, the two soccer podcasts. It's always soccer in Philadelphia and uh, Crossing Broad FC. Make sure you check those guys out as well. Um, but uh, like I said, we'll be back in two weeks unless the Phillies do something uh, something exciting here. Prior to that, until that time, he's Bob Wankel. I'm Anthony Sanfilippo. Thanks for tuning in.